0: and welcome to Get Flush, the world's favourite sanitation podcast. I'm Pete. In last week's show, we looked at how operators can find and recruit new members of staff. We heard from Carl, a recruitment consultant, about temporary staff, and we had a ride-along with Zach, who'd just started in a sanitation role. This week, I want to think about what a typical daily workload for sanitation drivers actually involves. Now, as I researched this episode, I spoke with a number of people who'd left their jobs by choice, Some said they'd been offered a better opportunity elsewhere, usually more money or better perks. Some said they left because of their manager or boss. Others felt they'd been bullied or unfairly treated in comparison with other members of staff. None of the people I spoke to said they'd left because of the job they did, and I wasn't surprised by that because quite a few went to very similar roles. I'd stress that these people weren't all in sanitation, most of them worked in other industries, but their feedback was fairly typical and it made me think that most people are quite prepared to get on with their job. When people leave a job, it's known as staff turnover or churn, and it can be really expensive. In portable sanitation, it means customers might not get the levels of service they expect or demand. Finding, selecting and recruiting staff takes time and money. New drivers are going to take time to learn the truck, learn the route, find the toilets and adapt to the way that this company works. And often the company will see a temporary drop in performance when it onboards new drivers. Very few people can hit the ground running at 100% from day one. And that means somebody else has to fill the gap or take up the slack until the new Joe gets up to speed. From what I've been told, it's not unusual for people to start as sanitation drivers, only to quit or leave within the first three or four weeks. Other times, it becomes really obvious from a very early stage that they're just not cut out to do the job. I've seen a lot of drivers struggle with the physical aspect of sanitation, which as we heard from Zach last week, can include repetitive lifting. While individual loads or hoses might not be very heavy, repeatedly lifting them on and off a truck or wheeling the toilets on a trolley does require physical strength and stamina. And it's not unusual for sanitation drivers to be worn out by Friday, or that most of them need a beer at the end of the week. Except they might not be able to have one in the yard because a lot of companies these days run a dry ship. (laughs) This was a management handbook, I'd probably start talking about employee retention strategies at this stage. And yes, there are thousands of books and websites that will tell you exactly what you need to do in theoretical terms to retain your best staff. But this podcast is aimed at operators and drivers in the field. So I want to think about the practical issues that play a major part in deciding whether staff stay or leave a business. For me, one of the most significant factors is the amount of work employees are asked to do, not the type of work they do. After all, operating a sanitation rig involves pretty much the same steps wherever you are, whichever company you work for. In New Zealand, employment rules state that work contracts must fix the maximum number of hours to be worked at not more than 40 hours a week, not including overtime, unless the employee and employer agree otherwise. Now, while that was intended to protect the employee, it also empowers the employer. Of all the workers I've spoken to, none of them said they were brave enough to negotiate a reduction in hours when they were offered a contract to work 45 or 50 hours a week. They all said that if they tried to negotiate fewer hours, they thought the employer would withdraw the offer of employment. In a post-COVID economy, none of them felt they'd be brave enough to negotiate fewer hours in the future. Now, I understand that many people want and need to work longer than that, especially if they earn minimum wage. But for me, 45 is too many. Now, if you drive a heavy truck in New Zealand, you also have to comply with the work time directive. And that says the total permitted work time per day for anyone driving a heavy truck is 13 hours. After that, you have to have at least 10 hours' break before you start your next shift. And once you've worked 70 hours in a week, you have to have at least 24 hours' break. A commercial truck driver has also got to have 30 minutes rest time after five and a half hours work. And in New Zealand, it's pretty normal for everyone to have a 15 minute smoke in the morning and a 15 minute break in the afternoon. So if you imagine our average work day is nine hours, we take off that hour, we're down to eight. In sanitation, we often need 30 minutes for pre-start and preparation at the start of the day, maybe longer if we've got to check the truck and refuel. And at the end of the day, we'll need another 30 minutes to pump out refill the fresh water tank, clear away any rubbish, top up supplies and hand in a run sheet, which means we're down to seven hours or 420 minutes of work time per day. I'm keen to know how many toilets an average worker is expected to clean during those available work hours. What's the minimum number the business needs them to do to make money? What's the optimal number for peak performance and how many is too many? At what point does their performance really start to slip? I've cleaned toilets and I have to tell you that after 20 I start to struggle and after 25 I start to lose the will to live. But I've heard from operators and drivers who tell me that they routinely begin the day with a list of 40, 50 or even 60 cleans and several owners told me that they finish more cleans per day than their workers. Now starting the day with a list of 60 toilets to clean would absolutely fry my brain. I know I couldn't do it. When planning daily workloads, we have to accept that a number of variables come into play. The first one is the capacity of the waste tank. Now the less water you use when you prepare a toilet for hire, the less waste you collect at the end of the week. And that means that you can empty more toilets into your holding tank before you have to discharge. And it's worth noting that toilets with very little water take only a few seconds to vacuum clean. Now I've said I'm a big fan of using lots of water because I think there's a directly proportional link between the amount of water and the level of customer satisfaction. That said, 50 or 60 litres takes longer to clean, although, let's be honest, the whole process usually takes less than a minute. Now if your waste tank held 2,500 litres or 660 US gallons and each toilet held 60 litres of waste or 16 US gallons, you'd be able to empty 42 toilets before the tank was full. But if those toilets held 100 litres or 26 US gallons of waste, you'd only be able to empty 25. The capacity of the holding tank is important because once you're full, you've got to empty the truck before you can clean any more toilets. And that takes time. Not only do you have to drive to the wastewater treatment plant, you have to wait if there's another operator there, you have to discharge and you have to wash down. And then of course you've got to drive to the next job. And all of that eats into the available time left for cleaning toilets. The second factor is drive time. At a major event, it's easy enough to work your way down a line of 20 or 30 toilets in record time. But when those toilets are spread out across a subdivision, a suburb, or even a city, things get more challenging. I did some modeling using Google Maps and Run Sheets, and in one city, I found that drivers averaged less than two kilometers between cleans. In another, the average was four kilometers, and in a large rural zone, it was over 30 kilometers per clean. Obviously that's gonna have a major impact on how many units a driver can service in one day. And if drivers don't have access to a navigation device or know a city like the back of their hand, it's going to take them much longer to find each toilet. A properly planned and optimized run sheet will save unnecessary driving and lead to really big savings. But route planning's not a job for the office junior. It needs somebody who knows the territory, knows exactly where each toilet is placed, and someone who's aware of special conditions that might affect access or how long a driver needs to remain on site. And there's some really great software that will help providers map their run sheets and plan the most efficient and economical route. But of course, sanitation is a fluid environment and quite often it's not possible to stick to that route. Sometimes you can't get access to a site or there's an urgent pickup or a delivery. Either way, as soon as you leave a pre-planned route, you're eating into work time. I haven't got time to go into route planning in more detail today, but it's definitely a subject I'm going to return to because so many operators have told me it's the absolute bane of their working life. The third one is the amount of time you spend cleaning each toilet. If you average 15 minutes a clean, that's four cleans an hour or 28 toilets in a seven-hour day. If you spend 10 minutes on each toilet, you can do six an hour or 42 in your seven hours. And if you only spend five minutes in each toilet, you can do 12 an hour or 84 in your seven-hour day. But of course, that doesn't include drive time. And if you're driving 30 kilometres between each clean, there's no way you're going to be doing 84. Of course, the amount of time spent on each clean is also determined by what the driver actually does on site. An efficient driver will have a well-honed system. They'll have everything to hand, they'll complete each step in a logical order, and they'll make just a few trips backwards and forwards from the truck. Inexperienced or poorly prepared drivers will generally take a lot more time to complete each clean. They often spend a lot of time going backwards and forwards to get things from the truck, and it's the small things that add time. Forgetting the brush, not having the key for the toilet roll holder, forgetting to bring the urinal block, it all adds up and it puts them further and further behind. And at the same time, a driver who puts effort into washing a cabin, rinsing the tank and scrubbing a floor, is bound to spend much more time on site than a driver who just sucks the tanks and pours in a single bucket of water. Because I've got a bit of a strange interest in sanitation standards, I've adapted an app that lets me score toilets when they're inspected. The template lets me grade the overall condition and presentation of the toilet against a number of criteria. Is the unit stable? Can you get to it? Has it been washed and cleaned properly? Is there uric scale in the urinal? There are maybe 12 or 13 different categories, and I'll stress that these are the standards that are important to me. Now, I can tell you that very few toilets score 100%. Most seem to average between 60 and 70, but a lot score less than 40%. And what does that tell us? Well, I'll be really honest. I don't think many toilets are very clean. And that suggests that drivers perhaps aren't doing a very good job. At the same time, I'm not sure that many owners and managers follow any sort of structured programme to inspect their loos. I asked one owner how he thought his toilets would compare against those from other providers. He told me he didn't know because he never opened or used his own loos. Another owner told me that he knew his team were doing a great job because, like me, he opened as many toilets as he passed. But he didn't collect any data and he wasn't sharing that feedback with his drivers. If your crew are doing a good job, you need to tell them. And equally, if they're letting you down, you need to address that sooner rather than later. So how many cleans is the right number of cleans? Well, that's really not an easy question to answer. The minimum number will depend on how much it costs every day to operate your truck and meet your overheads. And that's going to vary wildly. It will be much higher if you employ staff, maintain a large office, or have a large backroom team. The right number needs to give you a good margin, and I've heard figures of 40% mentioned by analysts as being the gold standard for profit for sanitation providers but I also know a lot of operators who tell me they make much less than that. If you compete by offering the lowest price, you need to clean more toilets per day than someone who charges a premium because they are focused on cleanliness and good service. Is it possible to charge the lowest price and still provide a premium service? Well, common sense says no, but hey, if you know better and you're prepared to come on the show, get in touch and tell us how you do it. How many toilets is too many? Well for me that's determined by what your driver is physically, mentally and emotionally capable of achieving and what your customers are happy to accept. I haven't met a legion of superhuman sanitation drivers, far from it. I genuinely don't know how anybody has got the strength to get through 40, 50 or 60 cleans every day. I know I couldn't, But if I'm missing something, or there's a magic trick, or there's just a different way that I haven't seen, get in touch, come on the show, I'd love to hear your views. Okay, that's all we've got time for this week, but I'm sure we're going to come back to many of the issues this episode has raised. Next week, I'm going to publish the first of our monthly specials that I've been calling the PMT or Pooh Man Tales. Our first guest is Ryan Granger from Arcadian Sanitation in Lafayette, Louisiana. Now I had a lot of fun recording that episode with Ryan and I'm sure you'll enjoy hearing how he started his business and his great plans for the future. Once again, thank you for your time. I've been Pete and you've been listening to Get Flushed, the world's favourite sanitation podcast.